We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. And away we go, episode 219 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, December 31st, 2021. Yes, it is New Year's Eve, what is either one of the great nights of the year or one of the most overrated nights of the year. I'll let you decide where you're at on that. We do know that New Year's Eve is the final night of the year. Of that, there is no debate. So let me say to you, Happy New Year. Uh, I hope that you are happy. I hope that you are healthy. I hope that you conquer in 2022 and beyond. Uh, 2021 has been some year in Washington, D.C. sports. Of course, no development in D.C. sports has been greater than the launch of this podcast. But beyond that, uh, this has been some year. So much to take in with what has happened with our teams. The Washington football team, the Nationals, the Orioles, the Capitals, the Wizards, Maryland, Virginia, and Virginia Tech basketball and football, Georgetown, basketball. So much has taken place. It very much has been a mixed year in terms of good news and bad news in D.C. sports. You can't say that any of our teams have had truly great years. And in the case of the Nats, I mean, they had a terrible year, but there have been good things that have happened. And here is too many more good things happening in 2022. I can only imagine what we'll have to look back upon a year from now in D.C. sports. Like, what will we have had taken place when we have this conversation on December 31st, 2022, you know, we have no idea what'll transpire over the next 12 months. And that is part of the fun of all of this now, isn't it? Hello and welcome to the final installment of the Al Galdi podcast for the week and for the calendar year 
of 2021. Yes, I am with you with a New Year's Eve installment of the pod. We have a Washington football team game to get ready for people. Why wouldn't I be with you? In-depth preview of Washington's game against the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. We'll begin next segment. Uh, We on Thursday had COVID-19 related news for Washington, and the news was not good. Uh, Both Samuel Cosme and Tress Way now are on the reserve COVID-19 list. Yeah, Washington may well need itself a new punter for Sunday as the team's COVID-19 outbreak refuses to die. I mean, the outbreak has lessened, but the outbreak clearly has not gone bye-bye. I will be talking about the latest here with Washington in regards to COVID, uh, as well as the latest on injuries for Washington and Philly for the game. Uh, Both Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio spoke on Thursday afternoon via post-practice Zoom press conferences. I'm going to discuss what Scott said about Kyle Allen potentially playing over Taylor Heineke, what Scott said about Terry McLaurin's recent slump, and what Scott said about the rise of John Bates. Wait till you hear what Scott on Thursday had to say about John Bates. Jack on Thursday addressed the Jonathan Allen Duran Payne sideline incident this past Sunday night in the 56 14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Jack kind of addressed the incident, uh, but I tell you what, someone who very much has addressed the incident is Duran Payne's father. Uh, I'll be getting into that. I have a special guest for you to talk Eagles. Sean Green, co-host of the Sports Gambling Podcast and co-host of the Die Hard Eagles Podcast. I have my rhyming keys for a Washington win over the Eagles, and I have a prediction for the game. Also on the show, I'll talk Wizards. Good job by the Wiz on Thursday night. They got back Bradley Beal. We're again missing a bunch of key guys, but the Wiz won and won convincingly a 110-93 win over the Cleveland Cavaliers at Capital One Arena. I'll also discuss Maryland basketball. It won on Thursday night, an 81-67 victory over Brown at Xfinity Center in College Park. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Michael King. Uh, He's a big Maryland fan. Uh, He wrote me about the Terrapins' blowout of Virginia Tech in the Pinstripe Bowl, completing what I believe is a step-forward season for Maryland football under head coach Mike Loxley. Uh, Writes Michael, this being Michael King, uh, not Michael Loxley. Uh, Nice win for Loxley. Don't care if Tech had lots of guys out. Nice to crush somebody. Hope the Terps build on it. Nit to pick. How many fake punts is Loxley going to fall for until he pays attention to details? Again, though, big win. Yeah, that was a nice win. And the Terps, off having lost six of seven, ended their season with two blowout wins. The win at Rutgers to become bowl eligible and this win over Virginia Tech in the pinstripe bowl. Email from Rich on the Washington football team writes, Rich, it was comforting to know that you are able to have hope for the future of the WFT. I listened to your postulate That free agency is designed to establish parity and give every franchise a chance of success. However, I think a more accurate assertion is that free agency gives every competent franchise a chance. Clearly, this is not a competent franchise. Can we set a New Year's resolution for Ron Rivera? How about he quits mentioning his time in Carolina? We all understand that he coached there. I don't remember Joe Gibbs droning on about San Diego. He was too focused on the task at hand. Uh, Thank you for the email, Rich. Yeah, the salary cap is what, in theory anyway, gives every NFL team a chance, but the cap coincides with the start of modern free agency, and actually those things coincide 
with the decline of the team we currently refer to as the Washington football team. To me, it's not just a coincidence that the first season of what have been the Dark Ages for Washington, 1993, also was the first season off the NFL instituting a salary cap and the modern free agency system. And I've always wondered if part of Joe Gibbs retiring for the first time in March 1993 might have been him seeing the writing on the wall, him understanding that the glory days were winding down, that a salary cap and modern free agency were going to change everything, and that it was probably best for him to get out while the getting was still good. You know, Coach Joe is no dummy. Washington in the 1992 season went 9-7. and seven. What a wild card playoff game at the Minnesota Vikings, but then lost a divisional round playoff game at the San Francisco 49ers. Washington was getting older. The salary cap was coming. Uh, Gibbs probably was getting burned out from the incredible run that Washington had had from 1982 through 1992. There were family reasons for Joe Gibbs retiring for that first time as well. But, you know, to me, like all of these things sort of came together. And Coach Joe did, as Coach John Thompson used to say on his radio show, we are out of here. Yeah, there it is right there. The classic Joe Gibbs laugh. Maybe the greatest laugh ever. (laughs) Yes, it's not funny, Joe. Uh, Washington has had a rough go of it for 29 years now. 1993 through 2021. 29 years. Uh, That is a long time. That is a lot of New Year's Eves right there. 29 years. Did you see, by the way, the reports that Washington was going to have Joe Gibbs as a part of the coin toss for Sunday's game against the Eagles at FedEx Field. But that plan for Washington football team insider Ben Standig of the Athletic DC uh, nixed because of everything going on with COVID-19. Probably for the best, uh, Joe Gibbs at a game for which FedEx Field is overtaken by Eagles fans. uh, Not exactly ideal. (laughs) No, No, Joe, that's not funny. That's not funny at all. Well, the glory days of the skins under Joe Gibbs are what we perpetually are hoping for Washington to equal. But when it comes to your skin, ain't nobody better than Dr. George Verghese. He is, in fact, the Joe Gibbs of dermatologists. Dr. George Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer treatments for conditions such as acne, psoriasis, and eczema. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer state-of-the-art services such as Botox, laser hair removal, and chemical peels. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer advanced treatments for many skin cancers. Heck, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401. 3401 or visit com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery, Institute of Maryland. 
All right, so the 6-9 and nine Washington football team will face the 8-7 and seven Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. The game will be Washington's final home game of the regular season. This game offers Washington a chance to snap a three-game losing streak. This game offers Washington a chance to remain in playoff contention, however remote the chances of Washington making the playoffs may be. And this game offers Washington a chance to equal its record of last regular season, right? At 7-9. and nine. Uh, Next segment, I'll talk Washington defense. But right now, let's talk Washington offense and actually some special teams. Uh, but not for a good reason. You know, I keep saying that Washington's COVID-19 outbreak is essentially over. But there's a reason that I keep using that word essentially. Because the outbreak may be mostly over, but the outbreak is not entirely over. And sure enough, Washington on Thursday placed three more players on the reserve COVID-19 list. Right tackle Samuel Cosme, punter Tressway, and practice squad quarterback Kyle Shermer. Now, Washington on Thursday also activated two players off the reserve COVID-19 list and edge defender Nate Orchard and practice squad guard Zach Bailey. But the major items here, of course, are that Samuel Cosme and Tressway now are on the reserve COVID-19 list and certainly appear likely to be out for Sunday against the Eagles. Uh, First of all, with Cosme, Washington just cannot have the right side of the offensive line fully intact this season. Washington on Monday activated right guard Brandon Sheriff off the reserve COVID-19 list. He had missed the previous two games being on the list, but he this season has played in just nine of Washington's 15 regular season games. And now Washington has placed right tackle Samuel Cosme on the reserve COVID-19 list. Washington took Cosme in the second round of the 2021 NFL draft out of Texas. He has had a good rookie season in terms of when he has played, but Cosme has missed a lot of time. Cosme has played in just eight of Washington's 15 games this regular season. So if he doesn't play on Sunday against the Eagles, he will have played in just half of Washington's first 16 games in this 2021 regular season, right? Just eight out of 16 games. Uh, Cosby did not play in four consecutive games due to an ankle injury that was suffered in the loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in Week 5. Cosby and the win at the Carolina Panthers in Week 11 returned from the ankle injury, but he and that win at the Panthers suffered a hip injury that caused him to miss three consecutive games. The good news is that Washington has a very good backup offensive tackle in Cornelius Lucas. And how about what Lucas said on Thursday? Did you catch this? Lucas, in a post-practice Zoom press conference on Thursday afternoon, said that he believes that he has had COVID-19 three times. Yeah, three times. Who does Cornelius Lucas think he is? If Evgeny Kuznetsov? I don't know. But I just hope that Samuel Cosme doesn't prove to be one of these guys, uh, like Brandon Sheriff, who's good, uh, but misses a lot of time. And then with Tress Way, so he earlier on Thursday was listed as not practicing on Thursday due to illness. And these days, when you see that a guy isn't practicing due to illness, uh, the eyebrows go up. The eyebrows go northward. And uh, sure enough, Tress Way wound up on the reserve COVID-19 list. Tress Way is having another really good season. And him not being Washington's punter on Sunday would mark the end of quite a run. Tress Way has been Washington's punter for every game since the start of the 2014 season. Yeah, every game. The last time that someone other than Tress Way was Washington's punter in a regular season game was week 17 of the 2013 season. Sav Raka 
There's a name from the past. Sav Raka was Washington's punter. And so Washington continues to have COVID-19 problems. Washington on Wednesday plays corner Daryl Roberts, practice squad offensive tackle David Steinmetz, and practice squad interior offensive lineman Bo Benshaw on the reserve COVID-19 list. And then we got what we got on Thursday. Uh, for the Eagles, edge defender Derek Barnett remained on the reserve COVID-19 list. In terms of injuries for Washington's offense, uh, maybe the biggest concern right now is running back Antonio Gibson. Uh, He on Thursday did not practice due to a hip. Uh, He was limited in practice on Wednesday, so Gibson is trending in the wrong direction with his latest injury. Receiver Curtis Samuel on Thursday was a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day due to the hamstring injury that has had him inactive for each of Washington's last two games. Offensive lineman Sadiq Charles on Thursday was a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day due to an ankle. Uh, Sadiq was Washington's starting right guard for each of the last two games with Brandon Sheriff on the reserve COVID-19 list. But like we said, uh, Washington on Monday activated Sheriff off the reserve COVID-19 list. All right, so Washington offensive coordinator Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon spoke via post-practice Zoom press conference. was the first time that we had heard from Scott in a few weeks. He addressed Washington's quarterback situation and pretty much downplayed what Ron Rivera has said. So Ron Rivera during Sunday night's 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys benched Taylor Heineke for the entire fourth quarter in favor of Kyle Allen. Ron, during his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon, suggested that Kyle Allen will play over Washington's final two regular season games, but how much and in what capacity were not specified. And then Ron, during his post-practice Zoom press conference on Wednesday afternoon, remained vague and even non-committal regarding playing Kyle Allen over Washington's final two regular season games. This was Scott Turner on Thursday on Kyle Allen potentially playing over Taylor Heineke over Washington's final two regular season games. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I saw some like headline about that. Uh, I, I was talking to coach. Uh, it's not so much a plan. It's just, you know, got, both guys got to be ready to play. I mean, Taylor's the quarterback and Taylor's going to play. Um, Kyle's ready just like he was in the in the past Dallas games. I mean, Garrett played against the Philly uh, in the Philly game, obviously, with some extenuating circumstances. Um, but no, there's no like there's no there's no plan. I mean, we're not rotating quarter. We're not doing anything like that. Taylor's going to be the quarterback. Um, and then, you know, obviously anything can happen. All right. So I would say that some cold water has been poured on this notion of Kyle Allen playing over Taylor Heineke over Washington's final two regular season games. Now, I do think that a lot of this is to be determined. Like if Taylor Heineke continues to struggle as he has been struggling, then yeah, uh, we will see Kyle Allen. But if Heineke plays well, then maybe we won't see Allen. Uh, If Heineke is playing really well on Sunday against the Eagles, I do not think that he's getting benched. But of course, uh, Heineke has not been playing well lately. His two worst games as a Washington quarterback have been his last two games, the two losses to the Cowboys. Scott Turner on Thursday on Taylor Heineke. Yeah, I mean, I just think, um, to be perfectly honest, I think that you guys... uh, maybe think more about that than, than we do. I mean, we're, we're in the course of the season and I'm not like really worried about being on a, like a debate show about, you know, is this guy a franchise quarterback? I'm more so just trying to get ready to go, go play a game, you know, and go do give our best chance to win. I don't think um, anybody is really, um, you know, feels good about our performances uh, over the last, you know, over the last three weeks. 
Um, you know, we got to play better at a lot of different spots. Um, Taylor um, is part of that, and he understands that, and he's working hard um, to uh, to do whatever he can to help us win. And I think those are those conversations and things that you're talking about. Those are things that you know we'll have as a franchise um, when we get to the off season. Um, but as of right now, you know, um, I got confidence in Taylor. He knows that, um, and we're ready to go. You know, we're getting ready to go play against the Eagles. Yeah, and that answer from Scott Turner is, of course, what he should say. But there's not a doubt in my mind over whether Scott has thought about what Taylor Heineke truly can be as an NFL quarterback. Of course, Scott has thought about that. And Ron Rivera has thought about that. And Martin Mayhew has thought about that. And Marty Herney has thought about that. And everyone in Washington's organization has thought about that. As I've been saying, I think that it is on. This coming offseason, I think that Washington will be going all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback this offseason. Doesn't mean that Taylor Heineke won't be back with Washington next season. I think that he should be, but Washington needs to aim higher at the quarterback position. Well, speaking of aiming, is this Sunday against the Eagles the game in which Terry McLaurin gets aimed at some more? Uh, His lack of production over the last five games is jaw-dropping. This is something that I've been talking about on the podcast. I mean, Terry McLaurin, at one point this season, was on fire. And he has cooled off drastically as this season has gone on. Terry McLaurin, over his last five games, has just 12 receptions for 164 yards and no touchdowns on 25 targets. And this is a function of a bunch of things. But one of them, to me, is Scott Turner not doing a good enough job of scheming things up so that Terry gets more touches. Scott Turner on Thursday on whether Terry McLaurin has asked for the ball more or made suggestions during his recent run. He doesn't. And that's the thing, you know, um, you know, we got it. We got to do a better job. I have to do a better job of finding ways to get Terry the ball. Um, you know, we've had we had him on some plays targeted early in the game um, that maybe obviously aren't necessarily high percentage deals. But we, you know, get some stuff where the ball, um, you know, the ball gets in his hands. Um it's not always just throwing it to him down the field. Uh, but no, Terry doesn't say it. he, Terry just comes and works and he does his job. Um, you know, he, I've talked to him. We have good conversations. Um, he's a competitor, but it's nothing like he, he's not that, he's not that type. I mean, he wants the ball. He wants to compete, but he, he's, he's focused on doing his jobs. And I, and he also, um, I think he sees it. He sees that like, there's some, there's some plays where, um, you know, we're trying to get him the ball, but, you know, based on the defense or how it, how it works out, that uh, it ends up going somewhere else. Um, so, you know, he knows that how we feel about him as off the staff, how I feel about him, and, uh, you know, that there's that we do try to work him to get him the ball. Yeah, got to work harder to get Terry McLaurin the ball. Uh, some of this is on Terry, okay? There have been some catches that he hasn't made that he could have made, but the bulk of the lack of production of Terry McLaurin recently to me is on Washington missing key offensive weapons, the quarterback play, and Scott Turner not making more of a concerted effort to get Terry his touches. I tell you, Washington is lucky that Terry McLaurin is how he is because most really good receivers are divas, okay? Most really good receivers are egomaniacs. Let's just tell it like it is, and they would be pitching a fit right now. More from Scott Turner on Thursday on the Terry McLaurin situation. This was Scott on if he is aware of how many targets Terry is getting during games and whether Scott can change course during games to get Terry more targets. Yeah, um, you know, 
he, so we do like I am aware of where the ball goes. Um, you know, a lot of the plays are um, like I was saying, you know, design where he's the first look um, and then it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, you know, there are some plays that we've had, we've done over the course of the season where it's like, you know, maybe like a receiver screen or something like that. But again, you, how many of those are you going to continue to continue to run? It's better when it, you know, the ball gets to them um, over, you know, through the process of the regular offense. Um, when you look at his targets and like the, his targets have gone down because we've been running the ball more, you know, we, and especially like in, the, in that four game winning streak and he had, you know, he's had some big plays here and there. Um, we do need to, like I said, we need to give him the ball more. I need to do a better job of giving him the ball more. Um, but everyone's targets have gone down because we've been having, uh, you know, throwing the ball less. He still is getting more targets than, than our other players. Yeah, well, maybe you should be throwing the ball more. More on that coming up in Rhyming Keys. Well, a Washington pass catcher who has been excelling lately is John Bates. Now, it's all relative, okay? It's not like John Bates is putting up Mark Andrews numbers, but John Bates, rather quietly, has surpassed Ricky Seals-Jones as Washington's number two tight end. Uh, that hasn't gotten a lot of attention. And honestly, right now, right, Bates is the number one tight end with Logan Thomas on the reserve injured list. But John Bates in the loss at the Cowboys played on 75% of Washington's offensive snaps. Ricky Seals-Jones in the loss at the Cowboys played on 45% of Washington's offensive snaps. And Bates in the loss at the Cowboys was one of the few bright spots for Washington. Two receptions for 45 yards, a touchdown, and a fumble uh, on three targets. But he also drew a penalty. Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson on the second snap of the second quarter, third snap of the drive, and the next to last snap of the first quarter on a first and 10 at the Cowboys 12. John Bates drew a five-yard holding penalty on safety. J. Ron Kurse giving Washington a first and goal at the seven. Washington's 11th offensive drive resulted in a third quarter turnover on downs. Third snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke, a second and seven, 32-yard shotgun completion to John Bates, who broke through multiple attempted tackles for significant yardage after the catch. And then Washington's 13th offensive drive was the second drive for Washington with Kyle Allen at quarterback. 12th snap of the drive on a fourth quarter second and four at the Cowboys 13. John Bates caught a shotgun pass from Kyle Allen, broke through an attempted tackle near the Cowboys five-yard line, fumbled the football, but then recovered the football at the goal line for a touchdown. Scott Turner on Thursday on John Bates and brace yourself for this because Scott Turner raved about John Bates. So John, uh, John's been outstanding. You know, um, you never really know about guys until they really start playing. Um, and, you know, you, you see it, you see it in practice. Um, but until they get out there when it's live and physicality, especially at that position, um, you never know. And, and he's really exceeded our expectations. Um, you know, uh, we know, you know, he as a blocker, uh, very physical. And that's when he first came in and started playing in the games. He started doing that and he did a nice job with that. Um, he's really sure-handed. I mean, he catches everything. Um, he doesn't have, you know, the top end speed, but the quickness and the ability to separate um, and then just being that big, big target that the quarterback uh, quarterback likes to throw the ball to. Um, so, you know, I mean, he just keeps getting better and better and kind of surprising us uh, with the things he can do. And he's a competitor and he's a tough guy. I think you saw with some of the broken tackles, um, you know, late in that in that Cowboy game. And he, he wasn't going to, you know, give in and, um, you know, he was playing 
you know, you know, playing his butt off the whole game. And I think you're going to see him keep getting better. You're going to he's going to develop more too, just physically. Like he's going to get stronger with the more time he has with our strength staff and as he grows older. So I think he's got a chance to be a, a really good player going forward. Yeah, Scott Turner, very complimentary of John Bates, who is doing quite well for a guy who was taken in the fourth round of the 2021 NFL Draft at a Boise State. I said this a few weeks ago when Logan Thomas went back on the reserve injured list. John Bates has a chance to begin next season as Washington's top tight end. Uh, who knows if Logan will even be ready for the start of next regular season. Logan suffered what was ultimately determined to be a torn ACL in the win at the Las Vegas Raiders in Week 13. So you suffer a torn ACL in December. There's no guarantee that you're ready to go for the start of the next regular season. There's real opportunity here for John Bates, and he so far is doing well with it. Up next, much more on the Washington football team. I'm talking Washington defense, including the latest on Montez Sweat, and you'll hear Jack Del Rio address the sideline incident between Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne this past Sunday night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, more now on the Washington football team in preparation for the team's game against the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. Let us talk Washington defense. Uh, Montez Sweat on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to personal reasons, which of course 
have to do with the shooting death of his brother. Just awful news. We on Wednesday learned that Montez Sweat's brother, Anthony Sweat, had been killed in a shooting on Tuesday in Henrico County, Virginia. Anthony Sweat was just 27 years old. So Montez Sweat may not play on Sunday. We just don't know. Now, Washington on Thursday did get back an edge defender in Nate Orchard as he was activated off the reserve COVID-19 list. But also on Thursday was edge defender James Smith-Williams being limited in practice for a second consecutive day due to illness, which we do believe uh, is asthma as opposed uh, to a COVID-19 concern. The other injury slash absence concern for Washington going into this game against the Eagles has to do with William Jackson III. Uh, He on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to the calf injury that had him inactive for Washington's 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys last Sunday night. Remember, Washington on Wednesday placed Daryl Roberts on the reserve COVID-19 list. So Washington could be without two of its top four corners right now. Uh, Daryl Roberts has been playing a lot over the last two games. Daryl Roberts over Washington's first 13 games of the season did not play on any of Washington's defensive snaps, but he and the loss at the Eagles in week 15 played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps, and he and the loss at the Cowboys on Sunday night football in week 16 played on 99 percent of Washington's defensive snaps. For the Eagles, the injury focus primarily has been on their two running backs who killed Washington in its loss at Philadelphia in Week 15, Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard. Miles Sanders on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to a broken hand. He is not expected to play on Sunday, but Jordan Howard on Thursday was a limited participant in practice of having not practiced on Wednesday. He's coming off a stinger Uh, We'll do a lot more on the Eagles running game next segment with our special guest, Sean Green. So what are we going to get from Washington's defense on Sunday against the Eagles? Washington's defense has been really bad in each of the team's last two games. The 27-17 loss at the Eagles in Week 15 and the aforementioned 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys this past Sunday night, which of course included the Jonathan allen Duran. Payne incident. Second quarter, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen got into a scuffle on the Washington sideline as Deron put a finger in Jonathan's face and Jonathan threw a punch at Deron. And there has been some fallout from this. Deron Payne's father on Instagram sounded off on some of the things being said right now about Deron Payne. Uh, here are just some of the things that Duran Payne's father said in response to what others said. Again, this was on Instagram. Uh, quote, let me see how many sacks you can get being double, end quote. As in, Duran Payne has been doubled a lot, and that's why his production hasn't been higher. Uh, another thing from Duran Payne's dad on the gram, quote, get a effing QB, end quote. Uh, that's nice. Uh, Another thing from Papa Duran Payne on Instagram, quote, if you call a man a female, Payne should have knocked Allen out, end quote. So perhaps we now know uh, why Duran Payne was mad at Jonathan Allen, Allen calling Payne a female in some form. Uh, Another thing from Papa Duran Payne on Instagram, quote, why you don't blame Allen, do you know what he called my son? End quote. And then there was this from Deron Payne's dad on Instagram. Quote, first of all, WF fans find out what really happened on the sideline before you start talking about S you don't have a effing clue about. Uh, my son will not be disrespected by no one. Alan is the female. My son don't bother nobody, but when disrespect him, 
you will get seen about bloodline cut from a different cloth than these internet thugs. But please don't cross that line. He got the whole South riding, end quote. Well, isn't that just dandy? Deron Payne's dad on Instagram uh, making things even uglier in this Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen situation. Uh, look, I look at this whole thing, and yes, on the one hand, you're like, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen have been teammates for years going back to their time at Alabama. Brothers fight. We get that whole thing. It's not the end of the world that the two got into it on the sideline during the game. On the other hand, I think you're being really naive. If you think that there's absolutely nothing more to this than just, hey, a bad few minutes between two guys who've been teammates for years. Like, it may be that there hasn't been underlying tension between the two, but it also may well be that there has been underlying tension between the two. As I've been saying, this has been a really strange season for this Washington defense. And when we try to figure out why has this defense so drastically underachieved this season, I've always suspected that there's been more going on behind the scenes than we've ever known. And when you see a fight like this on the sideline on national television during about as ugly of a loss as you'll ever see, you have to say to yourself, hmm, is this just an isolated incident? Or maybe just maybe, is this a manifestation of some larger problems going on. Washington defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio, he on Thursday afternoon spoke by a post-practice Zoom press conference. First time we had heard from Jack in a few weeks. Here was Jack on what happened between Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen. I uh, didn't really didn't really see it. Uh, I think they've handled their business well um, in, in the time since. Yeah, I love when coaches say that. Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't really see it. Uh, sure you didn't. Two of your top players got into a fight on a sideline during a game on national television, and four days later, you still haven't seen it. Uh, sure. Uh, and then this was Jack Dorio on Thursday on how he can make sure that what happened between Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen doesn't bleed over into future games and practices. Uh, I mean, I think I pretty much talked about that, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's been addressed, and um, the head coaches talked to both of them, and um, they've made their statement, and we're moving forward. Okay, Jack, uh, thanks for that. Uh, Jack Del Rio clearly had no interest in addressing what happened between Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen. Like I said, I don't view the fight as necessarily meaning that Deron and John hate each other's guts. I do think that there's plenty of validity to this idea that it's like brothers fighting. But at the same time, I think you are very possibly whistling past the graveyard, as the saying goes, if you completely dismiss even the possibility that the fight was indicative of some larger problems on Washington's defense. Uh, now, let's see what happens with this Washington defense over these final two regular season games. Because I think by now, we're all on the same page with this. Of Yes, the defense has been negatively impacted by injuries and COVID-19 in recent weeks. But also, yes, injuries and COVID-19 don't entirely excuse what this defense has been over these last two games for the Washington football team. Here was Jack Del Rio on Thursday on if the defense this season has been uh, what he wanted it to be. No, obviously, obviously, obviously not. Uh, but, you know, you know, really, all we can do is work each week, do the best we can to prepare, go out and compete. And that's, I think that part of it has been really good. Yeah, Jack has consistently said that Washington's defense, even through its struggles during the two and six start to the season, worked hard 
and didn't fracture. Well, as this season has gone on, and this has overall been a disappointing season for Washington's defense, and you see something like what happened between Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, I think you absolutely have to wonder about the notion of this defense having been fractured. Sunday against the Eagles could be telling. All right, let's get some high-level intel on the 6-9 and nine Washington football team's opponent at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. The 8-7 and seven Philadelphia Eagles, two teams going in opposite directions. Washington has lost three straight games. The Eagles have won three straight games and five of six. Very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now, Sean Green. Uh, he is a co-host of the Sports Gambling Podcast one of the biggest and most successful sports gambling podcasts in the country. He also is a co-host of the Die Hard Eagles podcast, and he has the perfect last name, right, as both a sports gambling guy and an Eagles fan, Green. Sean, it's nice to have you on, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah, favorite color is green. And yeah, as an Eagles fan, we've kind of been in the green, both uh, against the spread and straight up. As an Eagles fan, and I don't know where you're at, with this, but I always just want when the holidays come around, Christmas time, New Year's, to ha- when that graphic shows up to at least be in that in the hunt graphic. So the Eagles got there. Uh, you know, who knows where it goes from here, but certainly enjoying the turnaround. I was actually at probably the, the bottoming out of the Eagles when they lost to the Raiders and went to two and five, uh, but they've been uh, pretty good since. Yeah, they have. Uh, Your Eagles are surging, and uh, my Washington football team is sinking. Uh, Eagles have been running the ball really well. Eagles, though, also have been facing some really bad opposing quarterbacks. Are the Eagles, to you, a good team? Yeah, I would say they're, uh, you know, it's that whole thing of, like, what's good, what's great. I I certainly don't think they're great. I think they're, like, you know, an above-average team that's, you know, playing – Below average opponents, but taking care of business. I mean, they're they're beating these you know poorly uh, quarterback teams by an, a wide margin, which is a sign of a good team. Uh, again, you know, kind of playing who's on the schedule. I would love to see because they they lost uh, uh, badly uh, to some better teams earlier on the season to the Bucks, uh, to the uh, you know the Chiefs, uh, even the 49ers, Who now I would I would love to see them play them again because I think they are a better team. So you know, probably somewhere in between. I would say you know on the edge of good, certainly not great, but uh, exceeding expectations. I mean, they came in with a six and a half uh, win total, and they're a game and a half over that with two games left. So uh, doing good in that sense for sure. The Eagles are hurting at running back, including Miles Sanders, uh, not expected to play on Sunday due to a broken hand. But the Eagles have run the ball well with a variety of guys this season, including, of course, the quarterback, Jalen Hurts. Why is the Eagles running game so good? No, and, and you know, knock on wood, uh, everyone's okay health-wise. Miles, like you said, 100% out. Uh, Jordan Howard, who's kind of come back from the dead, he's dealing with the stinger. The MRI was positive for him, but it still seems like it's, uh, you know, 50-50 as to whether he plays. But Boston Scott, Kenny Gainwell, uh, they'll probably pick it up from there. But, yeah, I mean, we have an amazing offensive line, and it really was, you know, some some light switch happened uh, after they went 2-5. and five. I mean, now, 
now the city is drunk with power because every Eagles fan was just pounding the table going, run the ball, run the ball. We have this young quarterback. We have a dominant offensive line. What are you doing throwing 35 times a game? And they finally start doing it. And not only are they better, but they're like the number one uh, run team in the league. So, you know, as Eagles fans, Eagles Nation, we're really, uh, you know, beaming right now. What do you think about Jalen Hurts? Uh, should he be the Eagles' starting quarterback beyond this season? The Eagles do have those three first-round picks in the 2022 NFL Draft, so Philly making a move for a big-name quarterback would seem to be in play. But where are you with Jalen Hurts? I like I like Jalen Hurts. I'm, I'm team Jalen Hurts. Uh, one, I've seen progression. Like I've seen him get better as a thrower. I still think he's a very... Uh, dynamic rusher and the offense is working with Jalen Hurts you know like obviously he's no you know Aaron Rodgers or you know it's not seeing the field like Tom Brady yet but if you're grinding out the all 22 you're seeing like incremental progression um he had that really bad game against the Giants which was kind of a setback but for the most part as the season's gone along he's looked better and I think there's a lot of promise with him I love his attitude I think he has an attitude that really fits the city of Philadelphia which we saw wasn't the case with Carson Wentz especially that last year I mean if Jalen Hurts was to be benched he wouldn't ask to be traded he would I, I think fight for his job and and really have that mentality. I've seen enough progress that I, I would definitely think we should run it back with him, use the picks, use the cap space to build around him because as you know, uh, you know, the greatest asset in winning a Super Bowl is having a starting quarterback on a rookie contract, which they do right now with Jalen Hurts. So I'd love to see them, you know, get another whirl on that. Like if they had a chance to get Aaron Rodgers, oh man, it's You'd be crazy to not want Aaron Rodgers on your football team. But, I mean, Russell Wilson right now? I mean, I'm a huge Russell Wilson fan, but, man, are you really trading three first-rounders for him? I mean, Washington probably in a similar position, too, where, you know, these guys that you could maybe get, um, you know, like who's who's going to be the number one pick uh, quarterback in the draft? Like, it's not even a clear-cut decision. So, I think uh, kind of running it back, especially, you know, we do have two games left to see how the thing uh, season runs out. And if they get in the playoffs, that's certainly a great barometer for him as well. We're talking Washington versus Philadelphia with Sean Green, co-host of the Sports Gambling Podcast and co-host of the Die Hard Eagles Podcast. Who is the best player on the Eagles offense? That's a good question. I would have to go, hmm, it would definitely be someone on the uh, on the offensive line. I mean, you could you could definitely give it to Jason Kelsey, although, I mean, physically, probably not what he was in his prime, but I think mentally and the way he kind of directs the offensive line uh, is very impressive, uh, you know. And I, I right now, I'd probably go Lane Johnson. I mean, he got his first touchdown pass. He, he was, you know, had a lot of off-the-field struggles with some addiction and some depression, anxiety issues where he missed a bunch of the season. But he's come back and been very strong and a big part of the reason why they're able to push people around on the ground and, and really dominate. So I'll give it to Lane Johnson right now, but you can make a case for, honestly, any, any of the offensive line. All right, let's talk Eagles defense. It This season has struggled against good quarterbacks, but the Eagles defense also has done well lately. Is this Eagles defense just a defense that's at the mercy of who the Eagles are playing, or is this Eagles defense actually good or at least improving? 
Yeah, you know, again, I think the defense has gotten better, but also they've played worse opponents. So it's it's kind of in that mix between. I would love to see if if that uh, if that Cowboys game ends up meaning something for both teams. That would be a great test for this defense because they are playing better. I mean, I, I think early on, Jonathan Gannon and the and just the team in general kind of was struggling as far as figuring out their scheme, the identity. I mean, Fletcher Cox was quoted as saying, you know, I don't get paid to cover screens and kind of called out the coach. And and since then, they've been a little bit more aggressive, uh, which has really been huge. For, for a while, then, they were sitting back. Now, they're sitting back playing guys like Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, which, who knows, maybe you play aggressive and they get torched, so you're kind of uh, screwed either way. But I do think the aggressive mindset is really – played out well against obviously you know guys like Garrett Gilbert or Jake Fromm guys that are pretty inexperienced in the league um so yeah I I do think they've gotten better but they probably still have uh you know some holes uh Nick Sirianni Eagles have a first year and first time NFL head coach in Nick Sirianni he was the Indianapolis Colts offensive coordinator for three seasons is Sean Green a thumbs up or a thumbs down on Nick Sirianni so far as Eagles head coach yeah, I mean, I would say uh, 100% thumbs up on Sirianni. I mean, I think even more so than uh, Jalen Hurts, you you feel like you're in a pretty good spot with this guy again because they they've figured it out after losing. Like he's he's gotten the team up after bad losses, which I think is a sign of a good coach. Again, coming back to that Raiders game, which was the pivot for the Eagles' season, they they got embarrassed uh, against Las Vegas. And then they had this Lions game coming up and, uh, you know, the entire sports world and especially the Philly sports world was mocking him for showing the team a picture of a flower and saying, oh, you got to let it take roots and, and uh, you know, got mocked. And then meanwhile, they come out, they start running the ball. They destroy the Lions 44 to 6. You got Jason Kelsey leading a team chant going roots on three. And, you know, if you get guys like Jason Kelsey, veterans like that, intelligent uh, leaders on your team buying in, to me, that's a great sign as a fan that you're on to something. So I, I think he uh, is going through his rookie um, learning curve, uh, which you would kind of expect for a first-year head coach, but certainly optimistic, uh, you know, the rest of the season and uh, moving on to year two. One more for you. You mentioned Carson Wentz. Given now the benefit of some distance from the situation and having seen what has happened with him this season with the Indianapolis Colts, you know, some good, some not so good. What ultimately went wrong for Carson Wentz with the Eagles? Yeah, I think it was I think it was almost a hundred percent psychological, right? The the psychological well and I, I would say number one psychological. I do think he did lose some of his physicality in the pocket. I mean, if you again, I was actually at that game in Los Angeles where he blew out his ACL. The the spring he had in that pocket, the way he eluded defenders, I still don't think he's he's back there with that. So I think that is certainly part of it. But again, I think even just watching him as a fan, as a, as an analyst, as a, as a podcast host, he was just constantly pressing. He was trying to win the Super Bowl and, and redeem himself because he didn't win the Super Bowl. Foles was the guy who was actually out there. Foles was the guy holding up the Super Bowl MVP trophy. It felt like he was trying to win the Super Bowl with every throw, uh, basically post Nick Foles era. And, and you could just see it. He was, he was pressing a ton. 
which would lead to some great plays occasionally, but then also just a ton of uh, a ton of turnovers and a ton of missed opportunities. Now in Indianapolis, he's got Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I could I could probably win ten games with Jonathan Taylor uh, running behind me in that offensive line. So I think he's in a really good setup. It's uh, you know way different expectations, way different fan base, and and a clean start for him, which I think he probably needed. All right, man. Well, good to get your perspective on the Eagles. If you are listening to this and you are a big sports gambler, uh, you have got to listen to Sean Green's podcast, The Sports Gambling Podcast. I am not exaggerating when I say this is one of the biggest and most successful sports gambling podcasts in the country. And if you happen to be an Eagles fan, check out Sean's podcast on the Eagles, the Die Hard Eagles podcast. Sean, uh, thanks so much, man. All the best to you. All right. Thanks a lot, man. All right, my friends, it is that time, the time to rhyme. It is time for Rhyming Keys, as I will rhyme the path to victory for the Washington football team in its game against the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. As you likely know by now, uh, these rhymes, they are not meant to be good. Trust me, uh, they are simply meant to make a few points. I have a saying for this segment, the worse the rhyme, the better the time. And yes, I understand that you could argue that I should be doing rhyming keys for a Washington loss because it may well be that Washington is better off losing this game against the Eagles at FedEx Field on Sunday. But because Washington remains mathematically alive for the playoffs, I will maintain the time-honored tradition of rhyming keys for a Washington win. And so here we go. Rhyming keys for Washington versus Philadelphia. How does Washington win this game? Let us rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one. This is for Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, and the rest of Washington's defense. It was in week 15 that the Eagles shredded you via the run. So instead of fighting each other, how about you get the job done? What a seesaw season this has been for Washington's defense. It was really bad over the first eight games, then was really good over the next five games, and now has been really bad over the last two games. So the most recent two-game stretch began with Washington's 27-17 loss at the Eagles in Week 15. Washington in that game allowed Eagles running backs Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard to total 33 carries for 200 yards. That works out to 6.06 yards per carry. Uh, Washington in that game also allowed Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts to go 20 of 26 for 296 yards, 11.38 yards per pass attempt, a touchdown and an interception, and also to have eight carries for 38 yards and two touchdowns. Then came the exhibition game this past Sunday night, the 56-14 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night football. Washington in that game got shredded by Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott in ways that were unholy and impure. Dak played for less than three quarters and yet finished with the following numbers. 28 of 39 for 330 yards, four touchdowns and no interceptions. And he had four carries for 21 yards. And of course, also in that game was the sideline fight, the sideline scuffle, the sideline tussle, the sideline skirmish, the sideline incident between Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. There are two things that are true about these two recent oh-so-bad performances 
by Washington's defense. Number one, Washington was missing a good number of key players due to injury and the COVID-19 outbreak. And number two, all of those absences don't excuse how bad the defense has been. The Eagles are elite at running the football. The Eagles through week 16 are number four in the NFL in rushing offense per football outsiders DVOA metric, but the Eagles are banged up at running back for Sunday. Miles Sanders has a broken hand and is not expected to play. Jordan Howard is coming off a stinger. Given how the Eagles ran the ball down Washington's throat in Week 15, given how the Cowboys emasculated Washington in Week 16, and given that what happened between Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne was a terrible look, I would be highly, highly disappointed if Washington's defense did not play well this Sunday against the Eagles. This has been a really strange season for this Washington defense. We're going to have to spend a lot of time this offseason figuring out what this Washington defense is, what this Washington defense is not, who this defense has that is good, and where this defense most needs to make changes. But for now, how about we get some quality Washington defensively? How about we get Washington's defense playing with some pride and playing at a high level on Sunday? And so rhyming key number one, This is for Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, and the rest of Washington's defense. It was in week 15 that the Eagles shredded you via the run. So instead of fighting each other, how about you get the job done? Rhyming key number two for Washington versus Philadelphia. This is for Scott Turner. Yes, Taylor Heineke has been struggling and has been getting knocked on his ass. But when it comes to your play calling, lean on the pass. I just made history. The first ever curse word in a rhyming key. Uh, This game on Sunday is going to be interesting, really interesting for Taylor Heineke for several reasons. He, as you know, has been awful in each of his last two games, Washington's two losses to the Cowboys. Ron Rivera has been quite clear that we may well be on the verge of seeing more of Kyle Allen, for whom Heineke was benched for the entire fourth quarter and the loss at the Cowboys on Sunday night. The first game between Washington and the Eagles this season was, remember, the Garrett Gilbert game. Taylor Heineke did not play in that game due to being on the reserve COVID-19 list. And while, yes, Heineke has been really bad over his last two games, and yes, Heineke has been taking a beating over his last two games, I actually think that Washington should have Taylor Heineke throw the football a lot on Sunday. Why? Because the Eagles can be thrown on. The Eagles through week 16 are just 21st in the NFL in pass defense per DVOA. Five different quarterbacks this season have each completed at least 80% of their passes in games against the Eagles. Yeah, 80%. The Eagles have played 15 games. The Eagles in a third of those games have allowed the opposing quarterback to complete at least 80% of his passes. Now, those quarterbacks are good quarterbacks. Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, and Patrick Mahomes. But when it comes to why the Eagles have done well lately, well, one of the reasons, maybe the biggest reason, is that the Eagles have been facing bad quarterbacks. The opposing starting quarterbacks for the Eagles during their current three-game winning streak have been Zach Wilson, Garrett Gilbert, and Jake Fromm. Uh, Not exactly a murderer's row. This is not unlike how Washington's defense last season benefited from playing a number of bad quarterbacks. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hey, Goldie, Taylor Heineke is a bad quarterback. And you're right. Lately, he has been a bad quarterback. But he hasn't always been a bad quarterback this season. 
He wasn't a bad quarterback in the win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football in Week 2. He wasn't a bad quarterback in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in Week 4. He wasn't a bad quarterback in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10. He wasn't a bad quarterback in the win at the Carolina Panthers in Week 11. And if that Taylor Heineke is in effect on Sunday, Washington can have a big day offensively. And so rhyming key number two, this is for Scott Turner. Yes, Taylor Heineke has been struggling and has been getting knocked on his ass. But when it comes to your play calling, lean on the pass. And rhyming key number three for Washington versus Philadelphia. This is for the entire Washington football team. You know the crowd will be well endowed with Eagles fans who will be loud. And so ignore them all to make us proud. Uh, There aren't many things in this crazy, unpredictable world that we know with certainty. One thing that I do know with certainty is that FedEx Field on Sunday will be dominated by Eagles fans. This may be worse than the extent to which FedEx Field was taken over by Cowboys fans in Washington's loss to the Cowboys at FedEx Field in Week 14. Washington has lost three consecutive games, is 6-9, and and only has a very slim chance of making the playoffs. The Eagles have won three consecutive games, or 8-7, and and have a very good chance of making the playoffs. I would be stunned if FedEx Field on Sunday isn't dominated by Eagles fans. The greatest instance to me of Eagles fans taking over FedEx Field was in Week 17 of the 2018 season. December 30th, 2018, Washington concluded a 7-9 and season with a 24-0 loss to the Eagles at FedEx Field. With Washington having been officially eliminated from playoff contention and with the Eagles fighting for their postseason lives, FedEx Field was completely taken over by Eagles fans for this game. Now, you may recall a big reason for this was Washington seemingly opening up FedEx Field to opposing teams fans in a matter in which the team previously had not in the 2018 season. And that had to do with the big news that we had on the Wednesday before this game, as we learned that President of Business Operations and Chief Operating Officer Brian LaFamina and his crew were all gone from Washington less than a year after being hired. You know, for most NFL teams, business news such as this would have barely registered a blip, but for Washington, this became a massive story. Brian LaFamina and his crew being out, so much so that hashtag FireBruceAllen began trending on Twitter. Yeah, the ouster of Brian LaFamina and his band of merry men is what started the whole hashtag FireBruceAllen campaign. Uh, This Sunday could be worse than week 17 of the 2018 season in terms of Eagles fans annexing FedEx Field. We shall see. But the good news (laughs) is that the Washington football team should be used to this, right? I mean, FedEx Field has been overtaken by opposing teams fans many times in recent years. So to me, if you're the Washington football team, ignore the noise and play well. Hey, pretend like it's 2020 and the stadium is empty. Rhyming key number three. This is for the entire Washington football team. You know the crowd will be well endowed with Eagles fans who will be loud, and so ignore them all to make us proud. All right, it is prediction time. The line for Washington versus Philadelphia at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon for a win bet as of a very early Friday morning, as a very early New Year's Eve morning, is Washington plus three. 
The public has been pretty heavily on the Eagles, with the line being so short despite Washington having lost three straight, including, yes, the 56-14 loss at the Cowboys this past Sunday night, and the Eagles having won three straight. I like Washington as a contrarian play. It will not at all be a good look for Ron Rivera if Washington gets smashed again, even though, as I've been saying, Washington losing its final two regular season games may well be what is in the best long-term interests of the team. But give me Washington plus the points. Final score, Washington 16, Eagles 13. All right, really nice win for the Wizards on Thursday night. They improved to 18-17 and 17 with a 110-93 win over the Cleveland Cavaliers at Capital One Arena. Uh, this was just the Wizards' eighth win in 22 games since the 10-3 and start to the season, but this was an impressive win. The Wizards were missing a number of players. The Wizards were facing a Cavaliers team that entered the game 20-14 and 14 this season. Yeah, the Cavs are good this season, and yet the Wizards won, and the Wizards won in dominant fashion. The Wizards led for the entire second half. Now, with who was out, uh, there were a lot. Uh, the Wizards for this game had seven players in the NBA's health and safety protocols and were without another key player. The new Wizards being out, the Wizards were without Spencer Dinwiddie due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. The Wizards were without Cassius Winston due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. The Wizards were without Davies Bertans due to a non-COVID-19 related illness. Also, the Wizards were without Montrez Harrell for a second consecutive game due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. The Wizards were without Aaron Holiday for a second consecutive game due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. And the Wizards were without Howell Neto for a third consecutive game due to him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. And Rui Hachimura and Thomas Bryant remain in the NBA's health and safety protocols. Now, not sure if Rui would have played. He has been getting close to playing, but he hasn't played this season due to personal reasons. Bryant would not have played. He hasn't played this season as he continues to recover from a partially torn left ACL that was suffered last January. So all of these guys were not available for the Wizards. Heck, the Wizards on Thursday night started Brad Wanamaker. Yeah, the immortal Brad Wanamaker started for the Wizards. Uh, the Wizards signed Brad Wanamaker to a 10-day contract on Thursday morning. So he signed a 10-day deal earlier in the day, then started for the Wizards that night. Uh, this is the state of things for the Wizards and really the NBA right now with this COVID-19 stuff. But the Wizards on Thursday night did get back three players from the NBA's health and safety protocols. And among those players was Bradley Beal. He was back and he was great. Uh, Bradley Beal returned from a three-game absence caused by him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. He went two of five on threes and 11 of 18 on twos, finished with 29 points, 10 assists versus two turnovers, six rebounds, and a plus-minus rating of plus 16 in 33 minutes, 44 seconds as a starter. Beal looked really good. Head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his post-game press conference on Beal looking so sharp in his return. You know, once again, he's, he's kind of been in these situations before. He's, you know, 10 years in the NBA. I think he knows how to kind of keep his body right, keep himself ready. Um, it's just, you know, the sign of a professional. Uh, it's never ideal to miss, you know, game action, but you can do some things to kind of keep yourself mentally sharp, physically uh, in tune. But there's, is, there's no way to replicate running up and down the floor, getting hit and, 
you know, moving and cutting, changing speeds. Uh, so there was some fatigue early, but, you know, he didn't lose any any pop or any bounce or he, he looked sharp. Yes, he did. Beal scored 21 of his 29 points in the first half. Uh, Beal, during his postgame press conference, by the way, addressed having gotten a COVID-19 vaccine shot recently. Uh, he said that he did it for his family, especially his father, who has kidney issues. Remember, Beal, having not been vaccinated for COVID-19, had been a thing. Uh, you know, it is funny to me because there's this narrative now that Bradley Beal has shown leadership and has set a great example in getting a shot of a COVID-19 vaccine. Look, it's up to him whether to get vaccinated for COVID-19 or not. I am not here to judge Bradley Beal. I am not here to lecture Bradley Beal. But you can't have it both ways, okay? You don't get to not get vaccinated for COVID-19 for months. Be months late to the party. Get one shot of a COVID-19 vaccine and then get lauded as a hero, okay? Like, spare me all of this slurping of Bradley Beal that has been going on over these last few days regarding him finally getting vaccinated for COVID-19. Like I said, it's his choice what he does with his body. I am not a believer in shaming people who don't get vaccinated for COVID-19, but I'm also not a believer in worshiping people who do get vaccinated for COVID-19 more than half of a year after they could have gotten vaccinated for COVID-19. Bradley Beal gets treated with kids' gloves by a lot of people in the media. Um, and I just find that funny sometimes, but hey, it was good to have him back on Thursday night, and like I said, he was really good on Thursday night. Uh, also back for the Wizards on Thursday night was Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. He returned from a three-game absence caused by him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols, and he was good. Uh, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope went four of six on threes. He finished with 12 points, four assists versus two turnovers, and two steals in 27-57 as a starter. And Anthony Gill returned from a one-game absence caused by him being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. He went one to two on threes, had eight points and three rebounds in 12-14 off the bench, did commit five fouls. The Wizards on Thursday night were really good defensively, held the Cavaliers to just eight of 28 on threes, just 27 of 55 on twos. Wizards went nine of 29 on threes, so the Wizards again were bad at shooting the three, but the Wizards were great inside. Wiz went 36 of 61 on twos, outscored the Cavaliers in the paint 68-44. Yeah, the Wizards had 68 paint points on Thursday night. Also, Wizards took care of the basketball. Wizards had 27 assists versus eight turnovers. Big game for Kyle Kuzma. Now, he went just one of four on threes and just two of five on free throws, but he also went 10 of 13 Odden twos finished with 25 points, 10 rebounds, two assists versus one turnover, and a game best plus minus rating of plus 18 in 33-49 as a starter. Daniel Gafford had 11 points on five of six shooting, nine rebounds, and five blocks in 32-18 as a starter. Denny Abdia was good off the bench, 24-10 off the bench. Did go just one of five on threes, but four of seven on twos finished with 13 points and six rebounds. And we had this, Jaime Echenique became the first Colombian-born player to play in a regular season game in NBA history. Yes, the Wizards made NBA history on Thursday night. Jaime Echenique played for three minutes, four seconds off the bench. The Wizards signed him to a 10-day contract earlier in the day on Thursday. Again, this is the state of things for the Wizards and really the NBA right now with this COVID 19 stuff. 
Uh, the Cavs were missing some guys too, but the Wizards right now are a shell of what they're supposed to be, and yet the Wiz got this 17-point win. So nice job by the Wiz. Next up for the Wiz, home to the Chicago Bulls, Saturday night at 7. Well, it has been a very strange month of December 2021 for Maryland basketball, mainly because of the stunning resignation of head coach Mark Turgeon on December 3rd. But the Terps also have had a lot of time off this month. Uh, The Terps did not play any games from December 13th through December 27th, but the Terps now have played two games in three days. Uh, The Terps on Tuesday night ripped Lehigh 76-55 at Xfinity Center in College Park, and the Terps on Thursday night defeated Brown 81-67 at Xfinity Center in College Park. Terps now are 8-4 overall, but this win for the Terps on Thursday night was a lot like their win over Lehigh on Tuesday night. The Terps on Tuesday night led Lehigh by just three points at the half at 37-34, then won the second half 39-21. The Terps on Thursday night trailed Brown uh, more than three minutes into the second half by six points at 45-39, but the Terps then ended the game on a 42-22 run. Interim head coach Danny Manning during his post-game press conference. I thought today's game was a, uh, a really good test for us in regards to moving into Big Ten play. You know, Brown is a very tough team. They're physical. They're battle-tested. They played at Carolina. They played at Syracuse. They've gone up against Colorado. They went up against Creighton. And so this team coming in, we, we knew was going to be a, uh, a tough challenge for us in that regard. They're older. And, um, they, you know, Mike does a great job with his team. And um, I'm excited to see how they finish up in the Ivy League because this is one of the more athletic and physical Ivy League teams that we've run across or I've seen in quite some time. So um, similar to the Lehigh game, we came out um, a little bit too slow to our liking in terms of the, the staffs, what we needed to do. And, you know, we know moving forward, we cannot continue to have halves like that, especially when the team shoots 50%. I like the way we bounced back in the second half. We did a great job of guarding. Um, Hakeem Hart took on the challenge of guarding Troll and, and did a tremendous job of, of slowing him down a little bit. But he was up without question, the best player on the court um, in that first half. I think the second half, we're able to go on that 13-0 run, gave us a little juice and, and, and lifted us uh, with some spirit. And we did a good job of getting to the free throw line. You know, we talked power. We want to talk um, paint touches. And that was beneficial to us because we got a lot of guys on their team in foul trouble. Yeah, the Terps in the first half went 0 of 7 on threes. The Terps in the second half went 3 of 6 on threes. Uh, The Terps held Brown to just 4 of 22 on threes. The Terps for the game, 25 of 44 on twos. Outscored Brown in the paint, 46-26. Really nice game for the Rhode Island transfer. Point guard Fats Russell. He was a game-time decision due to a knee-on-knee collision and the win over Lehigh. But Fats Russell on Thursday night started, played for 29 minutes. He went one of two on threes and five of seven on twos, finished with 18 points, five assists versus two turnovers and three rebounds. Erica Yala went 0 of four on threes, but seven of 11 on twos. He did also go just eight of 12 on free throws, but he finished with 22 points, eight rebounds and two steals in 38 minutes as a starter. Fats Russell and Erica Yala, each guy for the most part on on Thursday night. Danny Manning during his post-game press conference on Thursday night on getting the production that he got from Eric Ayala and Fats Russell. We're excited. You know, we, we like all the pieces that we have on our team. And I think when Fats and Eric are playing the way that they're playing right now, 
it just makes us that much tougher. And I think, you know, the, the most encouraging thing to me was those guys did it in the flow of the ball game, right? You know, Eric, we, we kind of went to him down the stretch. We, we liked the matchup and, and we wanted him to close out for us. And, you know, he certainly made some plays down the stretch and, and made some tough shots, but he's capable of making tough shots. And he's done that his whole career. Um, Fats was understood that Eric had it going and did a good job of making sure Eric got touches. But late in the game, when we needed one, you know, Fats comes off that high ball screen and gets to the rim. So those guys are playing very well together, and it's certainly something that we're happy to see and we need to continue to see as we move forward. Some other heroes for the Terps. Hakeem Hart went one of three on threes, five of six on twos, finished with 17 points, four assists versus no turnovers, four rebounds and two steals in 30 minutes as a starter. Dante Scott, one of four on threes, but five of 10 on twos, finished with 15 points and eight rebounds in 35 minutes as a starter. He did have one assist versus three turnovers. And the Utah transfer, Ian Martinez, two points in 12 minutes off the bench. Those were his first points in a game since suffering a concussion uh, all the way back on December 1st in the 62-58 loss to Virginia Tech at Xfinity Center in College Park in the Big Ten ACC Challenge in what was Mark Turgeon's final game as uh, Maryland head coach. Uh, Ian Martinez made his return in that win over Lehigh, went scoreless, but got himself a couple of points in this win over Brown. Next up for the Terps at Iowa, Monday night at 9. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 220, will be a Washington football team postgame show off whatever happens in Sunday afternoon's game against the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field at 1. I'll also discuss the rest of the D.C. Sports Weekend. The Capitals will be at the Detroit Red Wings Friday night at 7.30 and then home to the New Jersey Devils Sunday afternoon at 3. The Wizards will host the Chicago Bulls Saturday night at 7 and we'll have college basketball. Virginia will be at Syracuse Saturday evening at 6. We were supposed to have Virginia Tech home to pit Saturday afternoon at four, but we got word on Thursday that that game has been postponed. Uh, the ACC on Thursday announcing that Virginia Tech versus Pitt in Blacksburg scheduled for Saturday postponed as the Hokies remain in COVID protocols. Have a happy new year. Have a great weekend. And I'll talk to you on Monday. <laughs> Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.